Welcome into the first Fight Friday, and today we have someone joining the boys. That is a MMA master. He trained deep in the jungles of Asia. He learned the art of Bullshido. With us today is Bullshido Bobby. What's going on, Bobby? <laughs> Nothing much. Thank you guys for having me on the Better and Green podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So Happy I know these. You and me, we talk MMA sometimes because me with my wrestling background and you as well, um, we kind of have things that we personally look for. So these guys got some questions for you about what you look for when you're making bets. So, uh, Wyatt, do you want to start? Yeah. So I have bet MMA, UFC um, a couple times. And again, I, I just talked about it on our last show. It's usually uh, on a Saturday night when I'm probably a couple of beers in. And I'm like, uh, oh, maybe, yeah, I'll throw some money on this fight. So I'm just kind of wondering what exactly you look at when it comes to a matchup. Um, I know my biggest thing is obviously the record. And then I really look at um, how they lost and how they won, whether that's in the first round KO or it's, they're a fighter that lasts multiple rounds. Um, so that's kind of like the, the beginning things of what I look at. I'm just kind of wondering what's like your first couple of things you look at in regards to what fighter you're going to pick yeah that's great uh that's a great question and those are uh some great things that you mentioned to look at uh the record yes that does play a role in it uh to kind of expand upon that i kind of like to look back at at least the last three fights for each uh fighter did they win those last three fights how did they win was it a unanimous decision a split decision was it a knockout a tko was it a submission uh, you know, what was the record of that fighter that they lost to or they, you know, beat? Uh, so, yeah, the record is definitely a good place to start. Uh, that gives you a good indication. And then uh, another thing that I like to look at is uh, just when I go through the, the favorites and the, uh, the underdogs, I like to try to figure out, okay, and this is kind of a little bit more more difficult and something that, you kind of have to uh, follow the sport, I guess, to kind of understand this aspect and kind of get in tune with that is, uh, okay, so why is this fighter such a heavy favorite or such a uh, heavy underdog? Because once you look at that, that kind of can give you some clues as to, okay, maybe there could be an upset. Like you, uh, for example, like uh, on one of the fights I'm going to discuss later uh, for this coming Saturday, one of the guys who is a uh, – kind of a heavy favorite to win. I'm not really sure why, because the last time he fought the guy he's fighting Saturday, it was a very close fight. Uh, he did win, but it was back and forth the whole time. Uh, the guy that lost has improved significantly since then. I feel like he's beaten uh, like a better caliber fighter than his opponent, things of that nature. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to look at. The record's definitely a great place to start. Uh, age, Comparing the ages of the fighters, sometimes you have guys who've been, you know, they're veterans and they have that experience edge, but that, that also means they have a lot of miles, you know, a lot of physical toil on the body. They're going up against a younger competitor. Uh, I also like to look at, you know, you can even get crazy. Like for this weekend, I'm looking at, okay, this fight, it's going to be in Salt Lake City, Utah. That's high elevation. And, you know, you have some of these fighters on this card who already trained at elevation. Like you have a lot of guys who fight out of Denver, so they're kind of used to that year-round elevation. But then you have guys who, you know, maybe they're coming out of a camp in Florida and it's pretty flat and they're not used to that elevation. And just because they're showing up two weeks early to try to get acclimated, you're not really getting acclimated to intense elevation like that in two weeks. And if you get gassed out in a fight, you know, you're you're pretty easy pickings for for somebody to kind of impose their game plan on you. So, right. Yeah. Um, I guess the one question I was kind of wondering. Um, you know, I, I assume you follow UFC obviously pretty closely. Um, do you follow these guys' careers before they get into the UFC? Um, are you do you dig deep into like their wrestling careers or you know their other fighting <clears throat> careers before they get to that level? Yeah, that's, a, that's another really great question, and I do try to as much as possible uh, try to identify those prospects, uh, those guys and, you know, uh, women who are coming up who, who seem like they might have some potential. And uh, 
I try to follow all the mixed martial arts organizations. It's just easiest for me to keep track of the UFC since they're the main, you know, premier organization around the world and especially here in the States. But, uh, yeah, I try to, I try to look at all that. I try to identify, you know, what's, what's, what is this career trajectory for these individuals been? And then that definitely does play a role in my, my analysis and how I'm kind of determining who's going to win is okay. You know, it's kind of an overused, uh, philosophy kind of an overused term in combat sports when it comes to trying to figure out things like this but it's styles make fights and, and I hate that because on the one hand it, it's kind of like yes it's true like for example if you have a guy who's primarily a striker and he's going up against you know like Bo Nickel this you know world-renowned accomplished grappler and you know Bo Nickel can take the guy down it's pretty obvious that Bo Nickel is going to be able to win but you know, since it's a fight, the fight always starts standing up, and Bo has to be the one who has to go out there and, you know, try to impose that game plan, so obviously it could fail, but, I mean, just simply knowing that he's a world-class wrestler and this other guy isn't, or, you know, maybe this guy is like a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but he could still be, you know, tapped out by Bo, those things definitely do play a role, and uh, it's kind of nice that the UFC has... Uh, Dana White's Contender Series, the program that has these upcoming prospects to fight for a contract for a chance to be in the UFC. And then the Ultimate Fighter's kind of fallen off. It's been around for, you know, probably 20-plus years. But it's still another good uh, still another good place to, to, you know, tune in and try to identify some good prospects and some people coming in maybe with some, some leverage heading into the UFC. Awesome. Yep, definitely. You guys, White, do you have anything else? You kind of touched on it there, and just real quick, because UFC is one of the crazier sports, and you said, you know, sometimes there's those guys that are, um, like we saw, um, like Floyd Mayweather, um, not Floyd, sorry, um, Conor McGregor try out boxing. Obviously, we got smoked. He's, he's just not a boxer. He's a UFC fighter. As a UFC, do you think it's – like, I obviously love watching all those grapplers and wrestlers go because I love just how they can get guys into submissions. Many of those guys that are just great kickboxers or great boxers. What do you think is the best trait to have? Is it better to be a great, as you said, like a jujitsu kind of guy? Is it great to be a, a submission grappler type of dude? Uh, what do you think gives the um, the fighter the best? Like, what what's your favorite um, characteristic of a fighter, I guess? Like, do you like it when they're the wrestler type or the heavy boxer or mixed martial arts what are your what's your go-to on that? yeah that's that's you guys are really giving some good questions i like this this is awesome uh yeah for me personally i'll tell you what i like personally and then i'll tell you what has kind of at least since i've been watching over like the past six seven years kind of been the the most dominant from like a practical perspective and you know where the most champions and the divisions have come from their background that type of thing so for me personally my favorite is i'm kind of a favorite i'm kind of a fan of the they call it the wrestle boxer the guy who you know has really good boxing and he uses his boxing to kind of close the distance and then he has you know really great grappling like wrestling and brazilian jiu-jitsu combo and then once he closes the distance with the boxing, he uses his wrestling to get the takedowns. Once he gets the takedowns, he uses the wrestling control plus the Brazilian jiu-jitsu control to be able to, you know, look for submissions, you know, find pins, you know, ride the legs, trap the arms, trap the legs, you know, maybe do some ground and pound, secure, you know, a pretty dominant position and everything and either end up getting the submission or, you know, tire the guy out, win the round, and then eventually maybe you know, wear on them and end up, you know, getting a TKO from ground to pound or something like that later. That's my personal favorite. And then as far as what's kind of had the most success over the past seven years has been, for the most part, those those elite grapplers, those dominant grapplers have been the ones who have, you know, held the championship in their respective division and been able to keep it for an extended period of time, you know, like your Habib Nurmagomedovs uh, for the 155 division. Kamaru Usman was a great uh, wrestler out of, uh, I believe it was the University of Nebraska, 
Uh, he was a wrestler out there. He was the 170-pound guy until he just recently got dethroned uh, not that long ago. Uh, you know, even prospects in these divisions that are coming up, like Bo Nickel, right now, so far with his career trajectory at 185, his division, you know, he's got strong potential to be the next champ in that division. Uh, John Jones, he's the current heavyweight champion. You know, he actually didn't have the, the accolades and like the elite, you know, D1 school of some of these other guys, but even community college wrestling, the guy's just, you know, a grappling phenom. He's a wizard and he has takedowns and submissions and he's just able to, you know, be champ for such an extended period of time. I kind of think that guys that don't have any type of grappling or, you know, wrestling or any type of experience with that, they're really going to flounder. Right. Yep. Well, why you took my question, so I have to make some stuff up now. So, uh, Bobby, I got two questions. My first one, uh, should it be legal for Bo Nickel to be beating up gardeners? Uh, I wouldn't say gardeners, but he's definitely graduated to at least like grocery store clerks, you know? <laughs> okay. Like, like gardeners, man, they're out there. It's hot right now. They're getting dehydrated. Yep. They're already a little sapped physically. You know, maybe maybe try to get a guy who's, you know, not really out there killing himself at his job, maybe sitting in an air-conditioned office, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And then my last one, we saw Greg Hardy try to make his uh, UFC debut and totally fall flat on his face. So if you had to pick... <laughs> Who you think is going to be the next UFC fighter coming out of the NFL? Who do you think is going to be? Man, I, I didn't even think about that. I haven't. Besides Tyreek Hill fighting in the women's division. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there was another guy who uh, Greg Hardy coincidentally on the Dana White's Contender Series back in like 2018. It was Greg Hardy versus another guy who played for, like, the Jaguars. I'm going to have to look up his name right quick. But it was Greg Hardy and this guy fighting against each other to see who got the UFC contract. And it ended up being Greg Hardy. And obviously, as you said, that didn't exactly turn out too well. But uh, if I just had to spitball and take a guess, man, uh, I could see, like, uh, maybe, like, Rashad Penny. You know, okay. he'd probably get, like, his arm broken in, like, the first round. You know, some BJJ guy would probably snap his arm or his leg. But, you know, maybe, like, Rashad Penny. Okay. I like it, My man. money's on uh, the kicking net that Od Odell Beckham lost to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bobby. Uh, let us know. you got How many fights do you have? How many did you break down? Uh, so, I believe I have about 11. Oh. Okay. Well, perfect. So uh, let's just start from the top and let you run through them. If we have questions, yeah, we'll so just you, jump in. Yeah. So you want me to go from, you know, the main card pay-per-view all the way, work my way down to the early prelims? Let's start with the early prelims and work our way up to the main card. Okay, cool. Sounds good. Let me uh, pull those up right quick. It was uh, Austin Lane. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. Apparently, he was a defensive end at one point. Mm. Not familiar. Uh-uh. Yeah. That's well, who uh, Greg Hardy beat up to get his contract. Huh. Yeah. The Jags, uh, they're just now getting good for the first time in, like, the franchise history, besides that one Blake Bortles year. <laughs> yeah. That anomaly. Yeah. And was it MJD? All right, so uh, starting with the early prelims. Uh, so this card is going to be Saturday, July 29th. Uh, so every card starts off with the early prelims. Uh, those are going to be 5.30 Central Standard Time. Uh, if you have an ESPN Plus subscription, you're able to watch through that. Obviously, if you have cable, satellite, and you have ESPN, I'm sure it'd be available there as well. Uh, first fight is going to be it's going to be women's flyweight. And that's going to be Miranda Maverick versus Priscilla Cachuera. And I'm going to go with Miranda Maverick. Right now, the odds on Miranda Maverick have her as the favorite, I do believe. And uh, sorry, I'm going to have to see how heavy of a favorite she is. I'm seeing minus 280 on DraftKings. 
Yep, that, that sounds about right. That's what I had it from uh, was DraftKings. So she's the favorite over Priscilla Cachuera. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with that, and my reasoning is going to be that Miranda Mavericks kind of had some, some up-and-down losses since she's been in the UFC, but I still think that she is one of the better prospects in women's flyweight, and she has good grappling. She has good striking. She's pretty well-rounded. Uh, Priscilla Cachuera just has... I'm going to be honest, you know, I hate to be this guy passing judgment, but the biggest thing Priscilla Cachuera is known for is a one-sided beatdown from Valentina Shevchenko a few years ago that there was a lot of controversy over the, I guess the ref was looking at his grocery list or something instead of, you know, stopping the fight because uh, it was something ridiculous. I think Priscilla took 85 unanswered shots primarily to the head and the ref just kind of let her get absolutely destroyed and, there was just no hope for her to turn over the situation. Valentina had dominant position, ground and pound the whole time. Finally, the ref, I guess, snapped out of it and called it off. So that's honestly, sadly, the only thing she's really done in the UFC since then. Uh, Miranda Maverick, I do believe, is coming off of a loss in her most recent fight, but it was by decision, and it was against uh, another fighter who is kind of being touted as a hot prospect right now. So, yeah, Jasmine uh, Judah Vinicius or something to that effect. I didn't know how to pronounce that last name, but, I mean, she lost by decision. It wasn't a one-side beatdown. I think I think Maverick's going to rebound. I think she's going to be able to pretty much do to Priscilla what Valentino was. She's probably going to take her down. She's probably going to ground and pound her. And as long as the rest paying attention and not daydreaming, should be a pretty pretty early night for Miranda Maverick taking home the W. All right, awesome. Uh, so after that, we go to we're going to men's welterweight. So it's a 170 pound division. We got uh, Matthew Semmelsberger and Euros Medic, and I'm going to go with Euros Medic. Uh, Euros Medic right now on DraftKings is a plus 175 underdog. Uh, Matthew Semmelsberger is minus 205 favorite. Uh, this is another one of those matchups where just from, you know, me following the sport, kind of paying attention to how the last few fights for these guys have played out, I don't really know why Semmelsberger is, is such a heavy favorite in this. Uh, Medic is, he was a highly touted prospect from the Dana White's Contender Series. Got his contract with a pretty impressive KO, I believe it was, of the guy he was fighting. Uh, Semmelsberger, another one of those guys, he's, he's not bad. He's, he just strikes me as kind of average. I think if anybody has potential in that division to kind of continue a climb, it's going to be Medich. He only has one loss on his record. You know, he's 8-1. Uh, Semmelsberger's 11-5, so he has that experience edge. But I just think Medich is hungry. I think he's got something to prove, and he just has a higher ceiling. And I kind of think Semmelsberger... Uh, unfortunately, he's just going to kind of be relegated to where he's at right now. That's a nice plus price there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think that's that a pretty down. good value. I will probably, uh, end up, I'll probably end up betting that. Yeah, I think it'd be a good one, man. Like I said, it's it's not a it's not a crazy one sided fight. I can see it going either way. I just have more faith in Medich Medich to get it done. And yeah, this is another thing. Uh, all these fights are going to be at you know high elevation in Salt Lake City. Uh, so you know if you're tuning in and you're watching these fights and you see you know these fighters getting gassed pretty early and it's looking kind of like they're you know fighting in sand or you know punching underwater, it's probably because a lot of these fighters you know maybe they showed up a little bit early to get their camp started, try to get acclimated, but. You know, if you're not training at elevation, like I said, two weeks isn't going to be enough to get you acclimated compared to some of these fighters who year-round are in camp at elevation all the time. Mm -hmm. All right, so next fight we got Jake Matthews versus Darius Flowers, and this is going to be at men's welterweight again, another 170-pound fight. Uh, Jake Matthews has had a really strange career. Uh, for anybody who's kind of, you know, been following the UFC for a while, if you ever heard the name Kevin Lee and you wonder where he fits into all this, uh, it's usually into somebody's guillotine choke. And uh, he just retired because uh, 
he's just been very hit or miss and he's not really good but he holds a win by rear naked choke over jake matthews from a few years ago and that's somebody that jake matthews you know really shouldn't have lost to but he did so he just has a weird up and down career where you know sometimes he loses to guys that maybe he shouldn't have you know i don't know whether it's he just doesn't push the pace or just kind of coast or what it is but Darius Flowers just got a contract. Uh, Darius Flowers is 12, and uh, he's got 12 wins, five losses, one no contest. Jake Matthews, 18 wins, uh, six losses, uh, doesn't have any no contest. Uh, I believe, yep, same age, both 28. Uh, Jake Matthews, 5'9", Darius Flowers, 5'8". Jake Matthews has a slight reach advantage, 73 inches compared to Darius Flowers, 71. You know, that's all stuff you can look at. But uh, what's kind of making me think Jake Matthews is going to take the W on this is going to be Jake Matthews has been in the UFC for a while. He has that experience edge. He does have the skills. He does have the ability. It just seems to be maybe something mental holding him back, like a mental block or something. Darius Flowers, like I said, just got his contract. Sure, he's going to be eager to prove, but I don't think the UFC is doing him any favors by, you know, his first fight in the UFC being Jake Matthews. That's kind of a tough fight for a guy making their UFC debut to be going up against Jake Matthews, especially at elevation on a big, you know, pay-per-view card. The nerves are either going to help Darius Flowers rise to the occasion or, you know, he's going to end up – getting finished by Jake Matthews. And I'm going to go with the fact that I think Jake Matthews is going to be able to rise to the occasion. Flowers won't really be able to. And uh, Jake Matthews is currently at minus 240 on DraftKings. Darius Flowers is at a plus 200 dog status. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with that. I think, you know, nine times out of ten, these guys fighting each other. Jake wins nine, nine out of those ten times. I, I wouldn't really want bet against that. That's okay. definitive. So next up, we have Roman Kapilov and Claudio Havera. So this is going to be a men's middleweight. This is the 185-pound division. Uh, so Roman Kapilov, he's 10 wins, 2 losses. Claudio Rivera is uh, 11 wins, 3 losses. Uh, so Roman Kapilov, 32 years of age. Claudio is 31. Uh, Roman, 6 feet. Claudio 6'1", 75-inch uh, reach for Roman Kapilov, 77-inch reach advantage for uh, Claudio Havero. So this one is going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, Kapilov is currently on DraftKings at the minus 210. Claudio is the plus 170 dog. That's another one where I can't really disagree. Uh, I think Roman's going to be going to be taking this fight I think that I think it'll probably go the distance I think it'll be probably a unanimous decision for Kapilov I just think Kapilov is another one of those guys he's the prospect he's kind of got you know a lot of hype behind him he's got a big push from the company uh, pretty well rounded has good striking good grappling really good at you know controlling the distance against you know, guys like Claudio, even though Claudio has the reach advantage, Kapilov can negate that, has ways of kind of making Claudio fight his type of fight. So I'm going to go with Roman on that. I don't really see uh, any reason to disagree. And so uh, now we're going to be getting into some pretty some pretty heated fights the next few. We're going to have uh, some really good analysis on these, on these next few fights. If you're a fight fan, you're going to enjoy them. All right, so uh, this is, uh, and sorry, we actually went from the early prelims. We've been on the prelim card now, which uh, starts at 7 Central Standard Time, and that starts with the Jake Matthews-Darius Flowers fight. That opens up the the regular prelim card. And then uh, this is a fight that I love me some Derek Lewis. Uh, Derek Lewis, <laughs> you guys might know him. He's the, uh, I don't my know how family friendly. Yeah, yeah, my balls was hot guy. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls was hot. I understand. I forgot a few hours before the fight, Donald Trump called me and told me I got knocked this Russian motherfucker out because they're making him look bad on the news. 
you know, him and Putin and shit. Fuck what they talking about, USA and this hoe. I need to sit my black ass down and do some more cardio. Fuck what you talking about right now. He uh, had a, it was absolutely incredible. He was getting, most fights, unless they're a championship fight in the UFC, they're scheduled for uh, a total of 15 minutes. You're going to be fighting three five-minute rounds. If you're fighting for a championship or an interim championship, you're going to be fighting uh, five five-minute rounds for a total of 25 minutes of fight time, potentially. So Derek Lewis, back in 2018, was on the uh, Conor McGregor versus Habib Nurmagomedov card and uh, just totally was getting beaten from pillar to post for almost 14 minutes, 50 seconds of the fight. It was very close to the end. Everybody was kind of like, you know, getting out of the stands or taking, you know, a restroom break. All of a sudden, Derek Lewis just kind of like doubles over like he's in pain from a body shot. And it's like, call an ambulance, but not for me. And then he just <laughs> unloads with like an overhand right on the guy he was fighting. Like this like 6'8 Russian, like Ivan Drago looking dude. His name was uh, Alexander Volkov. Derek Lewis just unleashes an overhand right on him that just crumples the guy, sends his mouthpiece flying and everything. And he's like just totally shocking everybody with this last second victory of just totally putting this dude's lights out. And then that was the fight where Joe Rogan interviewed him after and he took off his shorts and he was like, oh, I took off my shorts because my balls were hot <laughs> on national TV. And it was just like, he's a great dude. It's heavyweight. Anything can happen. My heart wants to say he'll win, but he's on like a three-fight skid right now, and he's been finished every time, like in the first and second round, unfortunately. Uh, you know, the guy, he's getting up there for a heavyweight. He's been in the UFC a long time. He's a vet. You know, he's always underrated. He's one of those guys that never really got the respect. Everybody kind of fixates on, like, Francis Ngannou and some of the other heavyweights, but... I just can't, with my brain and my money, put money on him, even as the underdog in this. Uh, especially at elevation, Derek Lewis already is not known for having cardio. He has a terrible gas tank. He even admits it himself that he is absolutely terrible at cardio and that he does not have endurance in the gas tank to sustain himself in fights. Definitely not going to get better at elevation that he's not used to. And like I said, he's on a three-fight skid, pretty violently finished by, you know, uh, Kai Tuivasa, big Samoan guy, elbow KO'd him. It was pretty nasty. He, he's just not been doing too well, and it's honestly probably time for him to hang up the gloves. Uh, Marco Sergio de Lima, he's uh, 21 wins, nine losses, one no contest. Derek Lewis, 26 wins, 11 losses, one no contest. Uh, I believe, so they're both 38, both 38 years old. Derek Lewis, 6'2", uh, Marcos DeLima, 6'1", Derek Lewis, 79-inch reach advantage, Marcos DeLima, 75-inch reach. I, I just think Marcos DeLima is going to have way more tools to get this fight done. Derek Lewis once again, admittedly, was a one-dimensional guy. He, he kind of waited, baited you into getting that sense of security, and then he, you know, puts you on the canvas with, you know, a huge overhand or, you know, a hook or an uppercut, just waiting for that one shot. That's all he needs is one shot. But, you know, with him getting finished in the first round, only making it to the second in his last three fights, I think uh, Marcos de Lima, he's going to come out strong. He's going to pressure Derek Lewis against the fence. Lewis hates being pressured. He's not going to be able to take it. He's probably going to get taken down as a result of Marcos de Lima setting up the takedowns with the strikes. And I'm seeing either a ground and pound finish for de Lima or submission. I think he's got options. I think Derek Lewis is unfortunately just going to wilt under the pressure and he, he's just been skidding and it's hard to get out of the skid, especially when you've kind of been violently finished like he has. Yeah. What would you lean towards? He gets finished KO, TKO or submission? If I had to pick between the two, I think DeLima would probably go for a submission. Uh, he's a pretty skilled Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. I'd put the money on the submission. Uh, Derek Lewis used to be known for uh, how his jiu-jitsu and wrestling real, just stand up. 
but in his past few fights, he hasn't been able to stand up, and he's relied a lot on kind of momentum shifts to be able to time his, his get-ups and getting back to his feet. And once again, if he's fighting an elevation, he's already struggling with cardio and endurance. It's going to be hard, it's going to be hard to find those momentum shifts when you're already getting gassed out and taken down so early in the fight. And right now, he is a plus 185 to Marcos DeLima is a minus 215 right now. Yeah, I'm seeing DeLima uh, by submission, a juicy plus 550 as well. So Ooh. I like that. Oh, I would 100% take that. I am I am actually shocked that it is um, such a you know plus for him to get a submission because that is 100% within the realm of possibilities. That Yeah, I would 100% take that in a heartbeat. I like that. Uh, next up, we have Gabriel Bonfim and Trevin Giles, and this is going to be in the men's uh, men's welterweight, another 170-pound fight. This is uh, the last fight on the prelims, kind of setting the stage for the main pay-per-view card. Uh, Gabriel Bonfim and uh, his brother are actually the hot prospects right now in the UFC. Uh, Gabriel Bonfim undefeated right now, 14 wins, no losses. Trevor Giles, 16 wins, four losses. Uh, Bonfim, 25 years old. Giles, 30 years old. Nothing crazy there. 30's not old for a fighter, you know. Uh, not a lot of miles on uh, Trevor Giles. Six, uh, six one for Gabriel Bonfim. Six foot even for Trevin. Uh, 72.5 inch reach for Gabriel, uh, 74 inch reach for Trevin Giles. Uh, I just think Gabriel Bonfim, another one of those well-rounded guys, great grappling, great striking, able to kind of set the distance, control the pace of the fight, make guys come to him, make them play his game, kind of bait them into opportunities. Uh, once again, he's got that momentum. He's never been beaten before. His uh, last fight, Gabriel Bonfim's last fight, January of this year, won by submission in the first round. Uh, 49 seconds, I believe, was all it took for him to secure that. Uh, Trevin Giles, his last fight was unanimous decision uh, back in March of this year against a guy who, you know, kind of maybe peaked. Nothing really special in the division, nothing to really write home about. Uh, before that, you know, he, he's kind of just a decision guy before that, September 2022, another decision. January last year, he got KO'd in the first round. Uh, you know, I'm going to go Gabriel Bonfim. I'm going to say he gets it done early, probably the first round. And uh, depending on what the odds are for whether it's a KO or a submission, I see both, you know, highly likely. Uh, whichever one has the better odds on it. You can't be wrong going with either one because, like I said, he's a well-rounded guy. He has good submissions, has good grappling, has good striking. But I think he gets it done in round one, finishes Trevin Giles. And a pretty heavy favorite is Gabriel Bonfim at minus 330 to plus 275 on Trevin Giles. Yeah, I'm seeing a plus 110 there for the submission, plus 225 for the KO, TKO, or DQ. Uh, I'd go with the KO, TKO then. He's got him and his brother both, really good strikers, got dynamite in their hands. Trevin Giles, like I said, just last January, he was knocked out in the first round. Definitely within the realm of possibility. You know, all about trying to maximize. I'd, I'd definitely go on theme by K, uh, KO. Like it. All right, next up we have uh, Michael Chiesa and Kevin Holland, and this fight is going to be at the uh, men's welterweight, I do believe. And this is going to be this is an interesting fight because we have this opens up the main card. So main card starts at nine Central Standard Time. This is now your pay per view. Uh, you're going to be wanting to tune in for this. The card that's well worth it. Action pack from start to finish. So, yeah, this is men's welterweight, Michael Chiesa versus Kevin Holland, 170 pounds. We had Michael Chiesa, 18 wins, six losses. Kevin Holland, 24 wins, nine losses, one no contest. So, I'm going to go with Kevin Holland on this. And 
I'm going to go with this because Michael Chiesa started off his career at men's 155. So he's moved up in weight. He was a guy had trouble cutting weight. Didn't really have, you know, a division he quite fit well in. Uh, 155 seemed to be draining him a bit too much cutting to that. But going up to 170, I feel like he's a bit small for the division. So he's one of those guys that would really benefit from some like 165-pound division maybe and in between. Because, you know, as Ben can probably attest, having cut weight in wrestling takes a lot out of you, especially when you're cutting weight like Michael Chiesa was. You know, you're getting dehydrated, your brain's not as protected by the fluids, and uh, leaves you more susceptible to getting knocked out, messes with your cardio. And I just think that even though he's not cutting as much weight, he's just undersized for welterweight. Kevin Holland has fought at 185. He's even went up to 205 pounds before. He's, you know, tall guy. He is six feet two inches to Michael Chiesa's six feet one inches. But he has a massive reach advantage over Chiesa. Kevin Holland has an 81-inch reach compared to Michael Chiesa's 75-inch reach. Massive reach advantage. Tall, lengthy guy. Really good at using that length to his advantage with the striking. You know, Michael Chiesa is going to have to do something he's not known for, which is, you know, pressure Holland. He's going to have to get past those leg kicks. He's going to have to get past those punches to try to grapple. That's where Michael Chiesa kind of has developed a reputation as he's a pretty good Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, uh, decent takedowns, good at finding the submission, good at controlling guys on the canvas. But Kevin Holland is also a very accomplished grappler himself. He has numerous submission victories himself. Uh, both men are kind of each other's kryptonite. They both have primarily lost by submission uh, to different fighters throughout their careers. But I just think that Kevin Holland is the better grappler, and I think that it's going to be a situation where Chiesa is going to kind of be desperate to get the fight to the canvas. He's going to get a little sloppy. He might get the takedown on Kevin Holland, but then Kevin Holland walks up a submission from, you know, off his back, something to that effect. He's going to catch Michael Chiesa in some type of submission once Chiesa gets careless. And I think he would probably do that. This is scheduled for three rounds. I think probably second round, he'd probably find the submission. I, I just think Chiesa's not going to be able to get past, you know, the, the serious reach advantage that Kevin Holland has. He's not good at pressuring. He's going to be desperate for a takedown. And Kevin Holland, you know, he can strike, he can grapple. And, you know, he's no stranger to being able to reverse position with guys in the grappling exchanges and get his own submission when they think they're going to get theirs. So I'm going to go with Kevin Holland by submission. And Kevin Holland's at minus 145. Michael Chiesa's a plus 125 on DraftKings right now. Do you have the submission numbers in front of you, Ethan? Yep, plus 500. Nice. Nice. That's a crazy reach advantage, too. Six inches. Yeah. That's right. crazy. I'm just shocked once again that submission is a plus 500. You know, Kevin Holland... Live by the submission, die by the submission. The guy, if it's there, he'll take it. If his opponent can take it, they will. So somebody's going to get submitted. I just think it's going to be Michael Chiesa. They're, like I said, both accomplished grapplers, but Michael Chiesa has been in the UFC a while, and it, it seems like for the past few years he's just kind of hit a ceiling. And Kevin Holland, still young in his career in the UFC, has a lot of room to grow. I think Chiesa is unfortunately just another one of those guys who's kind of reach their potential and this is about as good as it gets all right so we have one two three four four fights left next one this is another one that breaks my heart uh this is tony ferguson versus bobby green at men's 155 lightweight tony ferguson beautiful crazy crazy guy just absolutely insane tear he went on in the lightweight division at uh, one point, I think he was on, i got to look it up, but he had a crazy unbeaten streak in the division. For years, was connected with fighting Habib Nurmagomedov for the title. Uh, one of those stories where literally you couldn't make it up if you wrote a movie. The fight fell through with Habib for the title three different times. One was literally due to a pandemic in 2020 of epic proportions. The other one, they each pulled out 
certain amount of times. Never really got that opportunity to, to claim this shot at gold. Tony, Tony Ferguson did not. But at the time when he was being considered for this, he was on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12 fight win streak in the UFC. Uh, Tony Ferguson was 25 wins, three losses back in June of 2019. And after that, he faced Justin Gaethje, who's a guy we'll be coming to shortly in the main event. And that was May of 2020, and it's all been downhill for Tony Ferguson since then. Lost to Gaethje in May 2020 uh, by TKO, pretty brutal. Uh, unanimous decision to Charles Oliveira, December 2020. It was a decision, but it was a brutal beatdown. Honestly, a few points where it could have been called. At one point, I thought Tony Ferguson was going to get his arm snapped when he was caught in an arm bar. It was that bad. No idea how he made it out. Benil Dariush, who he lost to, same thing. Almost a play-by-play of the Charles Oliveira fight, even down to the arm bar that I thought was going to rip his arm off. Violently KO'd by Michael Chandler uh, May of last year. Front kick, foot right to the face, out cold, highlight reel for Michael Chandler. Uh, lost to Nate Diaz September last year, submitted by a guillotine choke. Just really, really tough, brutal losses for a guy who was 25-3, and three, you know, just back in 2019. Five fight losing skid. You know, Bobby Green, the UFC is trying to give him a decent matchup with Bobby Green. Tony and Bobby are both veterans. They've both been in the UFC a while, both had some long careers. Uh, Bobby's, you know, hit or miss. I think I've got to look up and see what he accomplished in his last fight. But, you know, he's, he shouldn't be as tough of an opponent as he is for Tony Ferguson. And if this was 2019, it'd be clearly Tony Ferguson's win. But just with how, you know, inexplicably Tony Ferguson has declined, I have to go with Bobby Green on this. Uh, Bobby Green is going to have the striking advantage. He will not have the grappling advantage. I think Bobby Green's going to come out. He's going to pressure Tony. Tony's not been dealing very well with pressure. He doesn't like to get hit nowadays. Bobby Green has pretty good boxing. Uh, He's pretty crafty with how he's able to incorporate his strikes. He's going to fluster Tony. He's going to be talking to Tony. He's going to be talking some smack. He's going to be, you know, egging him to come forward. I just think Tony is not going to be able to kind of deal with that pressure. He does not have the momentum with a five-fight losing streak with, you know, how violently he's been finished, the miles that he has. Uh, Like I said, Bobby Green hasn't exactly been doing well himself. Got TKO'd by Islam Makashev February last year, knocked out cold December last year, and then his last fight in April of this year was a no contest because he accidentally headbutted the guy. But he's just definitely a lot better off at this point than Tony. And the odds show that because Tony's one of the biggest underdogs on this card. He's a plus 310. Bobby Green's a minus 380. Uh, if anybody has the odds on Bobby Green getting a TKO-KO, I would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, plus 165 on that. Yeah, I easily could see that. Like I said, Bobby Green, he's going to pressure Tony. He's going to be looking for the finish. And unfortunately, I don't think Tony's going to be able to do much to stop him. And kind of like Derek Lewis, I really hope that this, this is Tony's last fight, win or lose. I hope he retires and uh, stops taking some damage. Tony's a legend, done a lot for the sport, but it's just kind of time to hang it up, unfortunately. I was going to say, I know this guy, he's a, a Tony truther through and through. So if he's not going with Tony, then nobody should go with Tony. Yeah, he was one of my favorite fighters, you know, the past seven years, eight years I've been watching. Like I said, legend, great win streak. Wish he would have been able to get his chance for the 155-pound belt against Habib. One of the most anticipated fights of the decade, if not the history of the UFC. But, you know, everybody's got time to, to hang it up, and I think this is his time. All right, got three to go, and then we're done. We got Stephen Thompson versus Michelle Pereira in the men's 175-pound division. Uh, This is going to be a fun fight. Michelle Pereira is absolute animal, just 
crazy athlete, will get in the cage and do things that just insane. The man does backflips. He literally does cartwheels and tries to spring into a kick off cartwheels, backflips onto his opponents. You name it, if you've seen it in a weird YouTube compilation, he's probably one of the guys in it. Like, he's, he's that type of guy. Uh, very unconventional, very weird, funky style, unorthodox. Uh, but if he does that elevation against Stephen Thompson, not going to be a good time for him. Uh, if he, you know, tries these stunts and, you know, tries baiting Stephen Thompson into some exchanges, he's going to gas out quick. He needs to be really conservative with his energy. Michelle Pereira already gasses out, you know, when he's not, not fighting an elevation. Uh, Steven Thompson, 17 wins, 6 losses, 1 no contest. Michelle Pereira, 28 wins, 11 losses, 2 no contest. Steven Thompson's 40. Michelle Pereira's 29, so that is a pretty significant age gap. Uh, 6 feet's the height for Steven Thompson, 6-1 for Michelle Pereira. 75-inch uh, reach for Steven Thompson, 73-inch reach for Michelle Pereira. This is, uh, once again, men's 175, uh, 170 pounds, excuse me. It's tempting to put the money on Michelle Pereira because he is dramatically younger than Stephen Thompson. But how I anticipate this fight playing out is Stephen Thompson is 40, but he's kind of in the category of uh, like your Yo Romero's of kind of those ageless wonders. You know, the guy is 40, but he looks and moves like he's, you know, in his 20s. Uh, really good striking, probably one of the best strikers in MMA, period, not just the 170-pound division. Really good at controlling the distance, controlling the pace. Every fight he's in, you have to come to him because uh, he will just absolutely demolish you at distance. If you try to stay away from his kicks, and if you try to stay away from his punches, then that's fine with him because he's just going to pepper you. He's just going to keep you at the end of his range the whole time and just you know, he'll gladly take the unanimous decision, just kind of karate boxing you to death. Michelle Pereira, like I said, he, he's a hot-headed guy. He likes to come out. He likes to do crazy unorthodox things. Uh, he's tried to get a little bit more composed in his fights, but if he tries to keep this standing and tries to strike with Stephen Thompson, you can ask most of Stephen Thompson's opponents how that's worked out. It hasn't really been good for him. The only people who've been able to have success historically with Stephen Thompson have been grapplers. Uh, your Gilbert Burns, BJJ world champ, uh, you know, guys that can get in, negate that reach advantage, negate that striking, take them down, you know, stay on top of them, control the position, look for the finish, or just, you know, hold them down, just wear them down, be a wet blanket, coast to the decision. Uh, we haven't seen that from Michelle Pereira. He's not really known as that grappler. And I don't think there's any reason for that to change now. Uh, grappling, very tiresome. When you're shooting takedowns, when you're trying to stay on top of a guy, it's hard to maintain control. It's hard to maintain your cardio, your endurance. If he hasn't shown it now, I don't know why he'd start at elevation in Salt Lake City against Stephen Thompson. I think it's going to be a striking exchange. And, you know, that's where Stephen Thompson excels. That's his bread and butter. And uh, I think he's... I think it's going to be a decision. I don't think he'll get the finish. Like I said, he's kind of the guy that likes to, if it's there, he'll take it, but he's mainly the guy who will he'll point fight you to death. Stephen Thompson, by unanimous decision, that's how I see that playing out. Okay. Plus 140 on uh, by decision there. Wow, once again, you know, I would think that unanimous decision would be kind of what everybody expects because – yeah, Stephen Thompson, not exactly a guy known for knocking you out. Michelle Pereira is, but once again, he, he's got to get through Stephen Thompson. He's got to get through that range advantage, that striking advantage to do that. And most guys who've tried that against Stephen Thompson, even when they bum rush, they end up getting pieced up, kept at range. Uh, Stephen Thompson, minus 155. Michelle Pereira, plus 135. Uh, unfortunately, there's not too many... Too many favorites I'm willing to take on this card with the last two fights that we have left. Uh, there are some interesting odds that I just noticed have changed, though. So we have the co-main event at uh, men's 205, I believe. I have to, yep, light heavyweight, men's 205-pound division, co-main event. Jan Blachowicz, 29 wins, 9 losses, 1 no contest. 
going up against Alex Pereira. Seven wins, two losses. And uh, Alex Pereira, he's known as the guy who uh, has Israel Adesanya's number. Israel Adesanya is the current uh, champion of the men's 185-pound division. That's where Alex Pereira was just at. He's moving up in weight to take on Jan Blachowicz. Uh Another thing I like to look for when it comes to fights, you know, is this the guy's natural weight class? Is he moving up? Is he coming down? And Alex is going up. And just like Michael Chiesa has, you know, moved up in weight and not really had uh, a great advantage, you know, guys that go down in weight, you know, there's positives and negatives to everything. just depends, but it's definitely playing a role in my analysis of this fight. Because even though Alex is gaining some weight for this fight, he is a big guy. I do think that he can handle the weight because he was already cutting a massive amount to get down to 185. Uh, he just lost the championship from beating. He beat Israel Adesanya by TKO, got the 185-pound belt. Uh, just a few months ago, Israel Adesanya knocked him out cold, and uh, he lost the 185-pound belt. Uh, after that, he decided to move up to 205 here, try his luck there. Uh, once again, I think it is good that he's not cutting as much weight, but I don't know why people do not have Jan Blachowicz as a bigger as a bigger favorite in this fight. Uh, Blachowicz is 40, Pereira is 36, 6'2 is Jan. 6'3", Alex Pereira, 78-inch reach for Jan, 79 for Alex. I just think Alex Pereira, yes, he's a great kickboxer. He's a world-renowned striker. Uh, numerous kickboxing accolades, championships, all that. But the man only has nine MMA fights, you know. And I get that every fight starts standing. And Jan Blahovich, it's up to him to try to take the fight to the canvas if he feels that way. But... Jan Blachowicz actually was one of the first guys to beat Israel Adesanya in the UFC by taking Israel Adesanya down, another world-renowned kickboxer with all these accolades and championships. And Jan Blachowicz was kind of the guy to set the blueprint for the first time of how to beat Israel Adesanya, who up until that point looked unbeatable. And he did it by closing the distance with his own striking and just being a wet blanket, taking the guy down. Israel Adesanya is not known for his takedown defense. He's not really able to get back to his feet easily. Alex Pereira, if you can believe it, is even worse than Israel Adesanya. Actually, in their last fight, in both of their fights, they both resorted to grappling, which was kind of humorous in and of itself. Two world champion kickboxers try to grapple each other instead of kickboxing, but they both were honestly terrible. But Pereira was even worse than Israel Adesanya, and was getting taken down by a guy not known for takedowns, not known for top control, and for trying to find ground and pound and submissions. So Jan Blahovich is that guy. He is a guy who does have takedowns. He is able to be a wet blanket. He's able to smother these guys with pressure. And his striking is serviceable. Yeah, Pereira is the better striker, but I just think Jan's going to be able to do pretty much what he did to Israel Adesanya. If you watch that fight, I think that's what's going to happen against Pereira going to close the distance, take the guy down, and just, you know, probably coast to a unanimous decision victory. And he's got the experience edge. He's been in the UFC for a long time, fought the best of the best, beat the best of the best, had some tough losses. But, you know, the guy with nine MMA fights is just not who I'm going to go with when it comes to Jan Blahovich. He's so much more well-rounded in comparison. And I'm shocked that uh, this has actually changed from the time that I wrote the article uh, I believe that Pereira was the favorite at one point. Now, looking at DraftKings, we have minus 115 for Jan, minus 105 for Alex. So, don't know why it's closed, and, you know, Pereira is kind of gaining some traction. Maybe they think he's going to be able to pull out a KO, TKO. I just don't think it's, I just don't think it's likely. All right, we've arrived at the main event, uh, the last fight on the card. Uh, this is going to be pure violence. You do not want to miss this. This is, uh, I hate what it's for. It's going to be a five-rounder, so we're going to have 25 minutes of potential fight time here. Uh, it's going to be for the BMF title. Uh, BMF is going to be baddest mother effer. And uh, it is absolutely comical, and it's a farce. And I hate it as a, as a, bit, of a, as a bit of a purist when it comes to the sport. 
It was supposed to be something that was just a one-off a few years ago for Jorge Masvidal and Nate Diaz when they were the uh, first champions of the BMF belt. They made a belt just for those two, and The Rock was the one that actually presented it to Jorge Masvidal, who ended up winning. So I'm curious to see what the promotion's going to look look like this time, if they're going to bring out another celebrity to award the belt to the winner. So that would be something alone worth tuning in for. So, yeah, BMF title holds no real relevance. It's just, like I said, a made-up thing just to get some traction, just to get some publicity that these guys are fighting for. Set men's 155-pound division. Uh, Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, uh, Two guys, you know, at the top of that division. Uh, they're not the champs, but they fought for the belt throughout their careers. Unfortunately, uh, Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier were both interim title holders, uh, but never really able to get the real official undisputed championship, uh, losing their various title shots. Uh, it's going to be a great fight. It's, it's going to be absolutely incredible, and this is actually their second time meeting each other. So Dustin Poirier, 29 wins. Seven losses, one no contest. Justin Gaethje, 24 wins, four losses. Uh, both 34 years old. Dustin Poirier, 5'8". Justin Gaethje, 5'9". 72-inch reach for Poirier. Justin Gaethje's got a 70-inch reach. Uh, it's kind of like that meme about Abraham Lincoln and JFK, the eerie similarities. A lot of er eerie similarities between the career paths of these two guys. Uh, in terms of, you know, their winning streak since they last fought each other, who they've lost to, never claiming that undisputed championship, things of that nature. Uh, their last fight against each other when they first met, uh, Dustin Poirier did beat Justin Gaethje uh, by a TKO, I believe it was. And uh, a lot of people are kind of riding on that to be kind of the blueprint for this fight again, since, you know, Dustin beat Gaethje before he can definitely do it again and I do think this will be a very competitive fight a very close fight but uh I think Justin Gaethje is gonna take it uh it was back and forth last time they fought each other uh Justin had just as many moments as Poirier and I think there's gonna be a few things that kind of come down to to the deciding factor here of why I think Justin Gaethje is gonna go home with the W uh, Justin has leg kicks. He's going to immediately start calf kicking. He's going to kick the thigh. He's going to immediately start chopping down uh, Dustin Poirier's movement. Uh, Dustin Poirier suffered from that in the first fight. He even admitted on Twitter after the fight. He posted a picture of his quad, and it was completely bruised. Said that, you know, he was also probably a few seconds away from crumbling if he would have thrown a few more kicks. But he gritted through, got the victory. Uh, Justin's going to be coming out hot and heavy, pressuring Dustin. And Justin is one of those guys who he trains at Denver. Denver's the Mile High City. Year-round, his fight camps are in Denver at elevation. Uh, Poirier uh, trains out of Louisiana and Florida, not known for their elevation, very flat areas. So Justin is definitely going to be prepared for that elevation. He's already used to fighting and training in those conditions. And I just think that he's going to really be able to kind of come out, start those calf kicks, start those uh, inside leg kicks, just start punishing the body of Dustin Poirier. And just eventually, I think this time, he's going to outlast Poirier. And he's going to be the one to get the TKO KO win. Uh, I'm very surprised that he's the underdog at plus 120. Dustin Poirier's minus 140. Like I said, this should be pretty much a pick em fight. Should be pretty even. Like I said, I get people are pretty high on the fact Dustin has beaten Gaethje before. But, you know, while Dustin has gotten better since then, I think Justin Gaethje has improved far more drastically in that same time frame. And comparing the two now, I think Dustin Poirier is still pretty similar to how he was a few years ago when he fought Gaethje. But there's a night and day difference between how reckless and uh, just, you know, out of control, trying to cause you know, collisions Justin Gaethje was, and now he's got a far more methodical, calm, cool, collected approach, picks his shots, careful with the striking. Uh, if it comes down to grappling, it might, since it is a five-round fight. Usually when guys get tired, they might try to shoot a takedown to try to get a breather, 
you know, stall out on top, that type of thing. Dustin Poirier, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, accomplished submission artist, does have good grappling. Justin Gaethje, wrestling since he was five years old. Uh, think doesn't have like a D1 wrestling background, but did wrestle at a collegiate level in Colorado at a school there. Uh, hasn't really shown much desire to take people down by his own admission. He wants to be that guy who, you know, swings and bangs and goes looking for the knockout. But, you know, if either one tries to shoot a takedown on the other, you know, I don't really know how that'd play out. It's kind of even. Uh, they both, like I said, have really good grappling credentials that might end up kind of stalling out and kind of being a, being a lose-lose situation for both guys. But I think it's going to be a striking affair. Like I said, I think it's going to be pure violence uh, from, you know, ding one to ding two, as my old boxing coach used to say. And I think Justin Gaethje, as the underdog, gets it done with the TKO KO. I don't know, Bobby. I think maybe you should get that BMF belt. Dude, as long as The Rock puts it on, I'm all good with it. <laughs> Well, you've been killing it lately, man. Uh, Ethan White, do you guys have anything else for Bobby? Um, yeah, I guess my final question. Do you have a a favorite uh, bet that you would make out of all the fights you just talked about? I'm really liking the Justin Gaethje. Uh, like yeah. I said, that is one where, like I said, I don't know how the odds have not gotten a little closer on that. It's the one that I think has the surest path to, to happening. Uh, yeah, that, that's just the one that, like I said, I just kind of scratched my head at. Unfortunately, on this card, there's a lot of people who are fighting who are heavy favorites. And I just can't disagree with the vast majority when they're that heavy of a, heavy of a favorite to win. Uh, we do see a lot of upsets in the UFC. We do see crazy things happen in MMA. It's one of the only sports where, like I said, you can be losing 14 minutes, 59 seconds, and at the last, very last second, you literally get a KO when you win. But I just don't see a reasonable path to that for most of these people other than Justin Gaethje. I think that's the most realistic chance uh, for him as the underdog to actually come through and definitely by a TKO KO win that fight. Love it. Uh Bobby White's got a question for you real quick. He wants to know, uh, could he beat Mayweather in a boxing match? He's 200 pounds of pure muscle versus 140-pound Floyd. Uh, I hate to do this, but I have to answer that question with a question. Does Wyatt just see red, bro? <laughs> yes. Okay, then I actually give him an advantage then. <laughs> <laughs> Mayweather's getting old, man. He's he's basically milking out a career fighting some some no name guys, man. He's kind of ripe for the picking. <laughs> All right, Wyatt will get on it, make his coin. Uh, Bobby, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. This was a blast. Um, my first time ever doing something like this. I really enjoyed you guys. Really appreciate everything. And uh, thanks for having me. I love talking about MMA. Love talking about the UFC. And hopefully, this will be a uh, you know, a regular occurrence. Absolutely, man. Awesome. Absolutely. Um, we do have something for you. Do you know what happens if you go 500 or better this week? Uh, no, I do not. If you go 500 or better this week, then that means you have a full month of being completely profitable. And so if you do that, we're going to eat a raw egg for you on next Thursday's episode. Oh man, I really hope that this pans out then because I've I haven't been doing doing too bad. Uh, I think last yeah last week I went three and two on that card. Uh, that was one of those weird upsets where uh, the women's fight that I placed a placed a bet on uh, the heavy favorite actually lost in a huge upset. Uh, once again, not that common, but it does happen in the UFC and MMA. And the other one, I took a risk on the uh, heavy underdog in the men's main event heavyweight. And, yeah, that didn't pan out. But, yeah, I think uh, – I forget what I was at. Last time I was, like, nine correct, 11 losses incorrect or something like that. So, nothing crazy. But, you know, hopefully uh, we can see that raw egg action. <laughs> well, I think <laughs> this month you are 10 and ten and 5. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, awesome. you're, ki you're killing it this month. 
Because you went five, five and one, and then you went two and two, and then you went three and two. Yeah. Yeah. Checks out. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah, so UFC that, 290 really helped me out. Yes. Yeah, you killed UFC 290, man. So if you guys want more content from Bobby, this is not his first time doing Better and Green content. This is his first time on the show. But you can head over to bettergreen.com. He's got a bunch of articles out there. You've been missing the heater he's been on lately. So make sure you guys go over there, read his content. It's great stuff. Uh, make sure you subscribe to Better and Green. Follow us on all social medias. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. And, guys, we'll see you in the next episode. Peace, everybody. Later, guys. Thanks, Bobby. You better start listening to the Better and Green podcast. You will not regret it. Trust me, trust me, trust me. And, hey, I'm Dean Blandino. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Better and Green. Hey. To Better and Green. Hey. To Better and Green. Hey. Listen in and get out. That's what it's all about. Come on, let's make cash now. We always on spot and we cover old spot from the bottom to the top. Hey, shout out to Ethan, shout out to Wyatt, shout out to Ben. Welcome, welcome to our podcast. Better win green.